Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to uh, Jenna Ellis in the morning. And I want to get to my first guest right away, which is Luke Macias, who is an activist out of the state of Texas. Uh, One of the stories that we've been following here is, of course, the impeachment of uh, Ken Paxton, who is the attorney general there. And so Defended Texas Liberty is leading the pack that is holding the sellout Republicans accountable. So good morning, Luke, and thanks for joining. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Jenna. Yeah, so uh, so what's the update here? Because I know that a lot of people are uh, very concerned about these uh, these really, I, I think it's it's uh, it's it's a good tip of fire to say uh, they're sellout Republicans that are trying to get him out of office. Yeah, ultimately, you know, the the lower chamber, the Texas House of Representatives is heavily influenced by the Democrats. Um, they, they basically have kind of a deal that's been cut where you have several dozen Republicans who team up with the 60 some odd Democrats and say, hey, the, the, the group of us can act is more on advancing conservative policy. So last session, the Texas House killed dozens of conservative policies. They killed a ban on Chinese land ownership. They killed uh, a bill that would have helped detransitioners. You know, we have a lot of insurance companies that are dropping anyone who wants to detransition, but they'll fully cover all of your evil transitionary services. And so these are the type of policies that the Democrats are teaming up with Republicans to kill the end of session, they go, oh, by the way, we're going to impeach the attorney general of Texas. And we know we have the votes because 61 Democrats will vote for it. So we'll just whip up the other 14 in shape and make sure that we've got the 75 needed to impeach. And so the Texas House impeached him. They bullied a lot of other Republicans to vote for it. But 23 conservatives actually stood up against the speaker, which is actually very high when it comes to directly opposing the speaker's top agenda. And now it heads to the Texas Senate. The trial starts on September 5th. You have a situation where a bunch of politicians are very upset with the decision that Republicans made. Um, they spent millions of dollars. He had three opponents in the Republican primary, but he was reelected. The Democrats then spent money, more money against him than they spent against any of the other statewides, and he was reelected. Um, and so they have decided, you know what, the information that was told to the voters and some of the accusations being made in the 20 articles of impeachment, some of them were literally made when he first ran for office in 2014 for attorney general. And his opponents were attacking him for accusing him of securities fraud and other crimes that he had committed. These are not crimes he's been convicted for in a, in a court of law. And so uh, a bunch of politicians have decided they want to be the judge, the jury, the executioner, everything and get him out of office and, and overturn the election results of this last um, this last election of Ken Paxton. And Ken's one of the most conservative attorney generals in the country. So I think this is just a prime example of why you have certain frustration with the Republican Party from the base. Why are we giving Democrats huge victories like this? It's interesting, Ken, I mean, you know that Ken was one of the leading attorney generals when it came to contesting the results of the 2020 election. And at that time, 
the Democrat caucus chair said, we will impeach him for this. So, I mean, this has been in their cards ever since Ken questioned the results of the 2020 election. And now the, the chicken's just coming home to roost. And I'm talking with Luke Mossius, who is a, a Texas conservative activist. And uh, and Luke, I think this is just a real prime example of how uh, the process of impeachment is being used politically. And generally, it's always used by the Democrats politically rather than how it should be. And so with the the trial actually happening in the Senate, how do you anticipate that that's going to go? And how long should uh, Texans be concerned that it might last? So it could last up to four to six weeks, and it starts on September 5th. I will say that um, the good news is that the Texas Senate is much more responsive to the will of Texas voters. They're much more conservative. So there's a lot of reasons to have hope that they will not botch the Texas Constitution like the Texas House did, that they won't hand out win to Democrats like the Texas House did. That being said, the Texas Senate is being very quiet through this process. And some of that's just because they now see themselves in this judge um, the, the slash jury role, and they want to be careful about what they're saying. So m- most of the Senate are not commenting at all publicly. In fact, the lieutenant governor put a gag order um, on the Senate just to basically end all of the public conversations that were being had about this since the trial will begin on September 5th. So um, there's not a lot to go off in regards to public comments, but we do have a lot of hope because the Senate for a long time has, again, been much more respectful of the people and is a much more conservative chamber as a whole. Hmm, that is really interesting that there's a gag order then. Um, how do you think that that is influencing what Texans are understanding about the whole process? And uh, I mean, isn't this fair that it would be more open in terms of public comment? Um, you know, that that to me is is fascinating just in, by way of contrast uh, to what we saw, of course, with the two sham impeachments of President Trump. Yeah, so I think this this was the lieutenant governor basically just seeing that both sides were constantly playing this out in the media and trying to rein things in. I think there are a lot of people that are concerned with the gag over gag order overall, but um, the good news is that it at least applies to both sides. And the, the, the speaker and his lieutenants have really shut up because they know that the Texas Senate's already not that favorable to their case as a whole. So I think they're not wanting to start things off on the wrong foot. Ken Paxton and his legal team had been playing this out in the court of public opinion, which is what it is, to your point. This is a political impeachment. I mean, let's not act right. like this is uh, any of the rule of law applies to this whole situation. Let's not act like the rules of evidence apply to this situation. Many of these articles The only evidence they had was hearsay within hearsay within hearsay. They literally said, we have evidence that he did this because we talked to a person that talked to a person that said that this person told him that Ken Paxton did this. And that was the evidence (laughs) that the House had to say he's committed this crime. So the rules of evidence don't apply, but but all of a sudden uh, we're going to come out and say that, hey, nobody can talk. So I do think that Ken Paxton's team has been somewhat hindered by this because they can't be out there communicating as much as they were and gaining as much support as they were gaining. Um, but the House has also had their hands tied behind their back. So I think ultimately we're not going to know all the effects of that gag order until the trial starts on September 5th. Yeah, and I think that that um, makes more sense now because I, I wasn't aware of that um, gag order 
that it makes more sense why there hasn't been really anything in the media. And especially with all of the news on a national level, um, that's that's, in my opinion, a really a detriment uh, to the people of Texas who uh, when this is so politically motivated to not be able to hear things out in the court of public opinion. And, you know, as, as a lawyer, I always say, obviously, there's a difference between a, the court of law and the court of public opinion. And here, this is mm-hmm. sort of a quasi judicial forum um, in yes. terms of the trial being held in the Senate. It's not in a regular courtroom. Rules of evidence don't apply all of those things. But because um, the court of public opinion is so important to constituents to understand the different arguments, uh, really, where should the should Texans go if they want to learn more about this or possibly get engaged? Um, because they're still represented by all of these members. Yeah, so this is why the Defend Texas Liberty Pack is doing what it's doing. We've been buying billboards in key areas. We've been sending hundreds of thousands of pieces of direct mail to Republicans, millions of text messages all across the state directly to voters to tell them what's going on and how they can engage. Ultimately, their senator is the only thing that matters. They have to contact their senator's office and lodge their complaint and their opposition to this uh, to this impeachment from the beginning. That's really important that they do that. Texas scorecard is uh, reporting on this heavily. They're probably the largest Texas-based media entity, and they write from a right-of-center perspective. And so the Texas scorecard is is definitely the best source to go to when it comes to actually what is happening in disimpeachment, what DAG orders are being issued or uh, filings are being issued. Ken Paxson's attorneys have been issuing a slew of filings, basically saying we need to throw out all of this hearsay within hearsay within hearsay before the trial starts. They filed another motion that said that 19 of the 20 articles of impeachment happened prior to the election. And so they violate the Texas Constitution, which specifically states that somebody cannot be impeached for something that they did before they were elected to office. And so um, they're those articles are important, and that communication needs to be done directly to senators. So I do think that Texas scorecard is important. That's one reason why, again, Defend Texas Liberty PAC is also engaging on this issue, several other entities. So those are places that Texans can go when it comes to making sure that they're staying involved and engaged in what's actually happening on this impeachment. And where can they go to find Defend Texas Liberty? Just DefendTexasLiberty.com. Excellent. And, you know, Luke, this is exactly why uh, people need to be so focused on what's going on in their state, because you're right with all of those different filings uh, that this is a a politically motivated impeachment. And, you know, the interesting thing about that as well to say you can't be uh, impeached for something before you took office, that at least the reading that I've had other guests on uh, speaking about this issue is that the the Texas Constitution speaks to that particular election. So this isn't before Ken Paxton was ever elected to that office. It would be yep. this particular election, which he just uh, recently won. And so, you know, all of these things are incredibly important. And when we when we only focus on national issues, then we lose sight and, and the importance of what's going on in our own home states. And this is one really great example of uh, why people need to make sure that they are still engaged on the local level and uh, they really can get involved. And so in just the last about 30 seconds I have with you, um, how else can they hold, uh, can Texans hold these sellout Republicans accountable and make sure that they're engaged in their state? 
I think we have to realize that a lot of the Republicans in the Texas House of Representatives who are cutting deals with Democrats like this really shouldn't be in office. And so everyone who's not engaged with their local Republican Party, with a local conservative organization on these you know different issues that matter most to them, you, you made it really clear that, honestly, so many people are engaged on a federal issue level, but they're not actually knowing what's going on at their school board, at their county commissioner's court, at the mayor's office, and who their state representative is. So just engaging at that level and deciding to maybe run for office, I will tell you there are more challengers to rhino Republicans in the state of Texas than I have seen in a generation. I started getting involved in 16 and I'm now 33. And I've never seen this much energy. And so if somebody lives in a community that has one of these Republican state representatives... All right, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, Luke Macias, thanks so much. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And speaking of state level wins and why we all need to be concerned about what's going on in our particular states, uh, there is another great win in my now home state of Florida. According to The Hill yesterday and also other reports, the tourism board appointed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to oversee Disney World and its complex announced Tuesday that it will abolish all of its efforts to pursue diversity, equity, and inclusion or DEI initiatives. A release from the board said the initiatives, quote, discriminated against Americans based on gender and race, costing taxpayers millions of dollars, unquote. The Central Florida Tourism Oversight District created earlier this year by law replaced the previous members who had been appointed by the company. The change in leadership sparked lawsuits between Disney and the state over DeSantis's and the district's authority. Those lawsuits, by the way, are still going on, and I have a lot of uh, thoughts on that. But the canceled DEI program still, according to The Hill, at the district include a program that required contractors to hire a certain quota of women and minority employees. The statement claims the district had to, play, to, had to pay millions more dollars in order to hire contractors that met those requirements. So this is actually a huge win for the state of Florida. And regardless of uh, how the Disney versus DeSantis uh, lawsuit ultimately plays out, and uh, there are some, some interesting developments there, Um, This board that uh, Florida Governor DeSantis appointed to replace the Reedy Creek District um, is definitely better in terms of uh, conservative policy, in terms of actually representing the state's uh, constituency and the district. Um, if, with all of this that uh, that Governor DeSantis is doing. And obviously, as conservatives, uh, we would reject all of these DEI initiatives. And so this is a huge win. And uh, what's going on in the state of Florida, um, I think, is really a model for what needs to happen around the country. We need to reclaim state sovereignty. Uh, we need to, for all Republican governors, Um, They need to look at rejecting a lot of the federal overreach or uh, the overreach even um, in terms of some of these other companies and how companies operate in their state. And so even though this is a um, a lawsuit that is continuing uh, for right now, Governor DeSantis is absolutely winning uh, with a lot of what he is um, trying to do in terms of having woke essentially leave the state. Um, So just as a as a basic uh, 
a commentary on the the current state of that lawsuit. You can actually go about a year, year and a half ago on my show, the Jenna Ellis show dot com um, on Salem Media. And that's my podcast. I did kind of a, um, a whole overview. It's probably about a 20, 30 minute discussion initially about uh, the lawsuit of DeSantis versus Disney. My concern there is the First Amendment retaliation issue. And so how this actually plays out, I think, will be interesting. And of course, you know, lawyers can have opinions. We can predict uh, the outcome of lawsuits. But ultimately, it's up to the parties, uh, the judge, in some cases, the jury, how this ultimately plays out. But my concern there, while this whole board is definitely better for conservatives, and I applaud uh, this rid of uh, the an, an abolishment of the DEI initiatives. Um, the issue for me in the Disney lawsuit was um, a state actor. So the state, as as a government agency, of course, has to abide by and preserve and protect a First Amendment rights for any individual or company um, that is that is private. I mean, that's that's part of what the First Amendment does, and so. When the Disney company issued their statement uh, last year that was opposing the parental rights and education bill, um, of course, that bill still passed and conservatives, including me, applauded that bill. It's a great bill. Uh, We should champion that bill. But Disney has the right to oppose it. That was when all of this uh, sort of started being initiated. And so Governor DeSantis then ultimately, in my view, targeted Disney and said, "Okay, if you want to oppose Um, our legislation and you want to use your resources as a private entity, which does include this quasi-government district that governs the board. And I think that's the interesting factor. Uh, We're going to take away your special privileges. Disney is not the only district in Florida. In fact, there's a little over 1,800 of these special districts. Um, There's just one that's actually governed with a theme park, um, but which is interesting. Uh, But in terms of retaliation against the company for expressing their view, um, anyone, any individual can express or oppose uh, legislation or speak out against what their state is doing or their state actors without fear of retaliation from the state. So this isn't about Disney special privileges. It's not about the type of retaliation. A lot of the objection back to my position is to say, well, why does Disney deserve special privileges? That's a totally separate question. This is all about retaliation. Um, So I think that the interesting factor in terms of having read some of the pleadings and how the case is proceeding is that the district itself being a creature of the legislature, whether or not the legislature has um, really a, a, a full purview to determine how it wants to either abolish or allow that district to persist, regardless of the rationale. And so whether First Amendment retaliation is a viable defense is going to be played out in court. And uh, that's kind of an an overview. But um, but I think that 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 whole case is very fascinating. I've been following that. Um, Go to thejennaellisshow.com and you can hear a lot more about just the First Amendment retaliation question and issue. Uh, for uh, Walt Disney World. But again, overall, uh, for Florida and for the state level, these types of wins are really great. And this is exactly what a Republican governor should be doing. 
This is exactly what every Republican governor in the country should be doing um, in terms of looking at their state and providing these types of wins. So we need to, as concerned citizens in each of our states, not just focus on the federal level, be focused on what's going on in our states and encouraging our governors, particularly if they are conservative, even if they're not, they should be more so, and encouraging them to continue uh, to champion the legislative wins in our states. And that's the best way that we can fight back against the overreaching, insane bureaucracy that is the federal level of government is by reclaiming state sovereignty. And the Florida blueprint is I believe, uh, regardless of what I think about the 2024 presidential election, just from a state level, that Florida blueprint is excellent and should be modeled for red states around the country. So turning to the 2024 presidential election, obviously, um, everybody who was conservative agreed until five minutes ago when there became a Trump versus DeSantis clash in terms of the Republican nomination in the primary, that Governor DeSantis is and the Florida blueprint uh, really are the model for Republicans around the country. So uh, that is now going to be debated. And interestingly, uh, Governor DeSantis accepted a challenge from California Governor Gavin Newsom, who is the polar opposite. If there is a contrast between how states are going, that would be Florida under Governor DeSantis and California under Gavin Newsom. And so uh, Governor DeSantis just last night on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News uh, accepted a challenge to debate Gavin Newsom and really put up uh, Florida versus California and the two uh, plans really for the future of the nation. So this is what Governor DeSantis had to say to Sean Hannity last night. Listen to this. This is cut two. You heard Gavin make the offer. Your answer is? Absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. We'll do it. And here's the thing, Sean. I mean, in, in one respect, the, um, the debate between California and Florida, you know, has already been had, as you suggest. People have been voting on that. They've been voting on it with their feet. They have fled California in record numbers. Florida has been the number one state for net in-migration. We have the number one ranked economy, number one now in education, crime rate at a 50-year low. But in another sense, this is the debate for the future of our country, because you have people like Joe Biden. They would love to see the Californication of the United States. Biden may not even be the nominee. You could have Gavin Newsom. You could have Kamala Harris. And I think if we go down that direction, that's going to accelerate American decline. We can't see America decline anymore. We need to reverse American decline. And I absolutely agree uh, with Governor Ron DeSantis, who was speaking with uh, Sean Hannity last night on Fox News to announce this acceptance of a debate between uh, himself and California Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, that this really is about the future of America. And regardless of who anyone supports for 2024 on the GOP uh, nomination and that primary ticket, we need to, as conservatives, all be concerned for the future of the country. And uh, this debate, I think, is going to be an excellent example and a showcase of what the conservative 
ideology and worldview and model is for the future of America based on the Constitution, based on our worldview in the Declaration of Independence, that we acknowledge our rights come from God, our creator, not our government. And the purpose of government is to preserve and protect our rights. We need to champion uh, the the flourishing of of mankind. We need to protect parental rights, like through the the Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill. We need to make sure to keep the federal government and China out of uh, the out of states, out of owning property, out of telling uh, the states what to do. And contrast that then between uh, what conservatives have always seen as the model and the best form of civil government to protect human flourishing and to protect the uh, the religious liberty and the right uh, the rights of conscience all of these things I contrast that to the leftist progressive view that has been encapsulated in the state of California if you look at how California has declined and governor DeSantis is right that so many people have moved out of California because they are sick of the oppression there. They're, and, and I'm not talking about that in like a social justice or, you know, class warfare sense. They're literally sick of the oppression from the petty tyrants. And they're moving. I mean, there was a point in time that the Babylon Bee was, uh, was mocking Gavin Newsom by saying, you know, there are no, there are no U-Hauls left. And he's, you know, the number one you know, real estate agent for uh, for California because everybody's leaving. And then there was a report later saying that people couldn't get one-way U-Hauls out of California because not enough were coming in. And uh, that was just another, as as uh, my good friend Seth Dillon at the Babylon Bee says, it's another prophecy fulfilled from the Babylon Bee because they're they're satirizing and mocking reality that ultimately reflects reality. And the model in California uh, for the the state, um, the, the high income taxes, the rates of inflation, the homeless population, the crime that has persisted. Um, looking back at uh, the the 2020 pandemic and how that was handled between the two governors, I would love to see that uh, debated and ask. Have Sean Hannity, or uh, I think he's moderating, or he's intending to, but whoever the moderator is, ask. Governor Newsom, uh, why did you close churches? Uh, why were you willing to uh, open up the strip clubs, the marijuana dispensaries, the casinos, uh, you know, all of these other so-called essential businesses, but you wanted churches to stay closed? Why did uh, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church have to sue Los Angeles County and Gavin Newsom in order to ensure that the state is not telling the church how it can or cannot worship. Um, all of these things, and, and, and there are so many different topics within uh, this whole debate. I mean, this this could last as long as, you know, traditional Lincoln-Douglas debate that could you know, last four to eight hours, and I would love to see that. I hope it's not just an hour. I would love to see them actually really get into the mindset behind the policy, because all of this goes back to a fundamental worldview of the purpose of government. And what Gavin Newsom and the left and their worldview of government, what they think the purpose of government is, is totally different and a completely different view ultimately of God and his relationship to mankind and to human beings made in his image than what the conservative model is. And that's what we need to be concerned with ultimately as Christians. 
we need to understand that our view of government and all of these different policies are not just a buffet that we sort of pick and choose and uh, put together our plate however we prefer. They all of our policy and our engagement with government and how a government should be run if it is moral and upright has to come first and foremost from a biblical worldview and then work up from there. Because the Bible has a commentary and comments on how the Christian life should be lived and how the institution of government as designed uh, by God, who is the ultimate authority, has legitimacy. And when it strays from that, how you've seen uh, Gavin Newsom run the state of California, how he has run the state of California has departed from the biblical basis of how God created that institution. So this is not just about Democrat versus Republican. This is about worldview and understanding what do we believe about God? What do we believe about government? And what do we believe about mankind as made in the image of God and how we build a moral and upright society? So stay tuned for this debate. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to it because I think Governor DeSantis is right. This is all about the future of our country. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And one of the top stories this morning is that former President Trump is going to be arraigned in Washington, D.C. today around 4 p.m. on the new indictment that has been handed down uh, by the D.C. grand jury. And Congressman Bob Good joins me and he Uh, tweeted yesterday, the day after Devin Archer testifies against the Biden crime family about their corruption, the Department of Injustice indicts the former president again. America sees what is going on. Well, Congressman Bob Good, uh, welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning, Jenna. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So uh, so what do you think is going on that America sees what's uh, what's happening here? Does anyone believe for a moment that if President Trump had completed two terms instead of one term and therefore was not eligible to run again as he is, that these multiple amounts of what I would call persecution versus prosecution charges against him would be brought? Uh, Great damage, great harm is being done to the country. There should be a very high threshold, a very high standard before we would take this sort of action to uh, to uh, divide the country to the degree that we are. Uh, it's unbelievable how this latest uh, persecution is based on the speech of the president, uh, trying to suggest that uh, he didn't believe what he was saying and, and he was lying, if you will, and therefore we're going to prosecute him for that. And as you said, the timing of it on the day after Devin Archer testifies uh, behind closed doors to members of the Oversight Committee, and you see, as you called it, the Department of Injustice showing no even curiosity about the mounting evidence of the Biden crime family. Where is the special prosecutor, the special investigation? Where are the statesmen, Democrats, the senators, the Congress members saying, hey, what did the president know and when did he know it? Or what did he do and when did he do it? The narrative from the president, uh, Biden, has changed to from his, his his team. You know, it was no it's no longer he didn't know about his son's business dealings. It's now, uh, well, he was not 
in business officially with his son. Even the Washington Post uh, yesterday issued uh, their four Pinocchios for the president lying in a debate when he claimed on the debate stage with President Trump that uh, my son didn't make any money off of China. And of course, now it's been demonstrated he's made millions of dollars off Chinese relationships. President Biden changes how we deal with China, how we consider them a competitive partner instead of an adversary. Uh, But of all the harm the president has done to the country, up there near the top is the loss of faith and trust in our judicial system, our, uh, our federal law enforcement, our Department of Injustice, as you correctly termed it, uh, Merrick Garland. They are not even pretending anymore, Jenna. They are not even pretending that they're not using their power, abusing their power to go after political opponents. And front and center is President Trump. And I think, Congressman Good, that the American people do see this this two-tiered justice system when they see the difference in how President Trump is being treated versus Joe Biden. When you have uh, Joe Biden out there saying all of these things that are obviously uh, inconsistencies at best, uh, probably um, you know, lies and misrepresentations at worst, and, and and everybody just covers for him. And it's like, oh, yeah, so, you know, he said that in the narrative change. Well, so what? And it's like they ignore reality. And then the Democrats in the left and the Department of Justice parse literally every single word and phrase of President Trump. And we can see the contrast there. And so I was speaking with um, Representative Mike Johnson just yesterday, and he told Mm -hmm. me that uh, Speaker McCarthy and the members of Congress are going to pursue at least an opening of an impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. Um, Is that something that um, that you have heard that they are pursuing? And do you support that? I certainly hope that is true. I hope the speaker will follow through on what he has said to that effect. You know, the president deserves to be impeached because of the border invasion that he is perpetrating on the country. There's other things he's done that are outside of his constitutional authority that I think he deserves consideration for impeachment, like the student loan transfer scheme and the eviction moratorium being extended multiple times, as well as depletion of our strategic petroleum reserves for political reasons, compromising national security and economic security. But yes, there certainly should be an inquiry based on the mounting evidence coming out of the Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee. And I hope the speaker will follow through on that. I think pressure is growing. I think as more and more evidence comes out, I think it becomes more and more impossible for anyone to ignore that. Even, as you know, some of the left-leaning Democrat-aligned sort of lamestream media uh, is beginning to report on this. It's not being reported to the degree that it should be. Uh, you've got this as you know, double, triple, whatever standard going on where I've, I've had some reporters when they ask me about President Trump and I ask them, why don't you ask about President Biden? They say, oh, when charges are brought, then we'll begin to cover it. They did not apply that standard to President Trump. You had the, even the Hillary Clinton standard with James Comey, where it was no, you know, he, he, he finished his report and said, obviously, she mishandled classified information intentionally and lied about it and tried to hide it and obstruct and all that. But he said, no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. Why don't we apply that same standard uh, to President Trump, who is a much, much lesser uh, degree of you know concern about anything he may have done, you know, that, that, that wasn't perfectly fine or what have you, as it applies to classified information. And that's president. He had authority, obviously, that the, the former secretary of state did not, obviously. Uh, but how harmful to the country, how harmful to our system of justice, how harmful to the American people. And think, Jenna, think, Jenna, if they prevail, 
a year and a half from now and Biden or a Democrat wins and Merrick Garland and his ilk stay in power and Christopher Ray and he stay in power, what would they do in a second term? Who would they go after to try to put into prison uh, beyond President Trump, those who supported President Trump, those who maybe members of Congress who voted to, to challenge uh, the electoral results? What what how far will they go? If President Trump is right, it's not just about him. It's about the American people. It's about those who disagree with the regime. It's those who dare voice a different opinion or support a different candidate or, or fight against the oppression, oppression of this unprecedented assault on our freedoms by this administration. So, Congressman Bob Good, what, what do you think are the chances then of President Trump getting a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? I mean, even Governor DeSantis uh, this morning said, you know, you can indict a ham sandwich if it's a Republican in D.C. So zero. So, so zero. Then what are what are the options? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, will it be expedited to try to harm him more before the election? Will it be dragged out through the primary season? Uh, this judge uh, that apparently would preside, uh, who's, uh, you know, should be recused because of uh, the, the judge's connections to the Democrat Party. Uh, you know, obviously we have a we have a, a biased uh, a prosecutor, uh, Jack Smith. Uh, but he has zero chance of getting a fair trial in D.C. It ought to be moved to a place, even into into Virginia, uh, even into purple Virginia would be better than hyper deep blue D.C. You know, everyone is entitled to a fair trial. Everyone is entitled to the presumption of innocence until conviction. I don't think the president could be convicted of any of these charges that have been brought against him in any of these cases uh, by a fair jury and a fair trial. Uh, Jack Smith, as you know, is routinely overturned uh, by by appeal, appellate courts uh, and uh, with, with the things that he does, going back to Bob McDonnell days, uh, his prosecution and persecution of uh, former Governor McDonald. So, yeah, it's very concerning that's in D.C. Hopefully it would get moved uh, to a fair place for him to get a fair trial. Yeah, and um, Alan Dershowitz, who uh, who you know is, is a great lawyer, has commented that he thinks it's likely that there will be a conviction out of D.C. and then it would be overturned mm-hmm. on appeal. And so, how is that? Uh, and, and you know, we're not that far out from the 2024 election. And so, just in the political vein, um, how should conservatives think through? The, uh, all of this, um, as, as you've termed it, persecution of President Trump, um, when th- the vote for president and, and for the nomination um, it could be impacted by this. And a lot of conservatives are suggesting that there are there's a better alternative in Governor DeSantis. Um, I'm personally in that camp that I don't think that um, the best way to to fight back against the weaponization of government is to just nominate uh, President Trump again. Um, but how how would you say that conservatives should think through this issue? Well, you brought up a great point. I tried to back up to the moment on the legal side. People like Alan Dershowitz, great legal mind, great constitutional scholar, who is a left-leaning guy who admits he didn't vote for President Trump either time, says he probably wouldn't vote for him again. 
but he believes in the Constitution, and he believes in equal justice under the law, and he believes in fair-mindedness. And he and others like him say, there's, while there may be a conviction in D.C., it would almost certainly be overturned uh, when it was brought before a fair-minded court from an appeal standpoint. That said, as you know, uh, as you alluded to, I've endorsed Governor DeSantis because I think his model for Florida is the model for the country. I support President Trump's policies I would enthusiastically support him if he was our nominee. However, I think Governor DeSantis is our best candidate. I think the job he's done in Florida to take it from a half a point win in a purple state four years ago to a 20-point win, now it's considered a bright red state. It was not a red state until he got there. It was not a red state in 2000 election with the hanging chads. It was not a red state with those very close Senate and governor elections over the the next 15 years or so. And it wasn't a a bright red state until he won by 20 points. You look at what he's done there. Secondly, we need eight years of conservative leadership, not four years. President Trump's term, uh, single term, and I wish he had two terms, but his single term demonstrated we need eight years to undo the swamp system. I think Governor DeSantis has demonstrated courage true conservative convictions. I think he is the stronger conservative on the policy. Uh, I think he gets the best chance to win the battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those kind of states that we have to win. It doesn't matter how many points we win by in Alabama. We've got to win the battleground states. We've got to win minorities. We've got to win women. Uh, Governor DeSantis gives us the best chance to do that. And so while I am in no way against President Trump, I am for Governor DeSantis because I think he's the best candidate. That said, even though it's, let's just pretend you and I were considering two candidates for city council, a local level, and one of them was unjustly, unfairly charged, we believe, egregiously charged, being persecuted, prosecuted, but had two or three cases against him and legal. We might decide, you know, that we don't agree with it. We think it's unfair. We think it's unjust. We think ultimately he'll be proven innocent, but we might not choose to nominate that person and might not think that's the best person of the two candidates we were considering just because the even unfair, unjust baggage. But I think many people in some of these polls, what you see is they feel like, gosh, if I don't say I'm for President Trump, then I'm validating this persecution of him, this weaponization against him, and I need to stand behind him because I'm standing up for justice and I'm standing up for what's right, and I believe in him and I support him. And so I think you're seeing that indicated in the polls. The first votes don't take place for another five months or so. I think we'll see with the debates and as these candidates continue to get out around the country, what the American people really think. And uh, again, I'm for Governor DeSantis, but I'm for President Trump or whoever is the nominee if it's not Governor DeSantis. But I think DeSantis is our best choice. And and Congressman Bob Good, I, I think that that's so well stated that Americans and, and conservatives can stand up against unjust persecutions and prosecutions and weaponization of government while separating that from who is the best candidate overall for the nomination. And I think that's what it has been uh, perhaps intentionally uh, confused in the media and, and and I think confused in some of these polls that if you don't support President Trump for the nomination, then you're against him or you're anti-Trump. I mean, I see that on you know my Twitter feed all the time that because I support Governor DeSantis, somehow I'm anti-Trump. And no, I wish that President Trump had two terms in office as well. And I want Governor DeSantis to have uh, two terms in office. I want conservatives as a whole to have the best possible trajectory for America because we need to reverse this from the federal level. We need to, to, as you said, the Florida blueprint on the state level. And one of the things um, as well to your point about Florida and Governor DeSantis's leadership is that he has 
uh, really invested in Florida's future by legislative wins. And part of yeah. uh, what President Trump, in my view, didn't accomplish in his first four years was through so many executive orders that were essentially just overturned day one um, and reversed by the next guy, Biden. Um, and that needs to be something that the next, whoever it is, the next Republican president needs to specifically consider. No question about it. When you look at what he has done in protecting children in Florida, uh, what he is, Governor DeSantis, what he's done uh, on defunding uh, or prohibiting DEI from being taught in Florida schools, constitutional carry, six-week heartbeat bill, standing up against COVID, opening up his state when he had the oldest average population of any state in the country, the courage he showed in that. He stood up against a central bank digital currency in his state, against ESG in his state, against illegal immigration. Uh, he, you know, j Just take the uh, budget-wise. Florida has 22 million people. New York has 20 million people. Greatest comparison population-wise, Florida 22 million, New York 20 million. New York's budget is 227 billion with a B. Florida is at 115 billion. He spends half as much for a larger population. Florida spends about $5,000 per citizen state budget. New York is $11 million per citizen state budget. There's a reason why that state is growing faster than any other state in the country. People are voting with their feet for a courageous conservative leader who's advanced legislative policy, with gotten super majorities in the state in Florida. And you're exactly right. He has been the model, and uh, he, I think he is the best choice for president. I think he would do an outstanding job, and I think if we got him, we'd have him for eight years. Well, Congressman Bob Good, thanks so much for being principled and for standing firm against the weaponization of government and for America. Always appreciate you joining. And we are out of time here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can also always reach me, Jenna at AFR.net. Always uh, important to hear from you. And I'll join you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.